0: Okay, hopefully, you've had enough time to uh, digest a donut or two. Let's uh, bow our heads for an opening prayer, and then I'm going to turn it over to Amanda, our Sunday School superintendent. The Lord be with with you. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of children that you have granted to us. Uh, They are such a blessing, Uh, sometimes a lot of work, but they probably think that about their parents too. Uh, But above all that, O Lord, you have given us your word, your word which creates faith. And so we pray that you would bless now uh, this uh, new school year here at Advent as we learn and study about your word, as we make new friends. Bless not only our students, but also our teachers uh, and all who serve here, uh, your word at Advent Lutheran Church. All these things we're bold to ask in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior.
1: Amen. Hi, good morning. Yes. They, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you all for coming. I'm so excited to get this new year of Sunday school underway. And to start us out, we are going to sing a song. It's on a half sheet of yellow paper. If you don't have one, there's some more extras in the back. But we are going to start out with that. I'm right very So just a little quick introduction, I am Amanda Probst, and Amanda Morris is around here. We are the two Sunday school superintendents, so if you have any questions along about Sunday school, we can answer those for you. Um, Here in a little bit, we will introduce teachers for the year, and they'll take them to the classrooms, and they'll do a lesson today, except for fifth through eighth grade You'll go down to your classrooms with your teachers, but then you have some training to do later. Um, Your child will get a Sunday school calendar from their Sunday school teacher about all year long, about different events going on, um, times that they sing. There's also a link at the top. We're trying out the online enrollment form again. So make sure you go to that link and sign your child up for Sunday school so we have that information. Um, And then we also have a little guideline, parent guidelines. Um, This year we're going to not have cookies or anything in the library. So if your child, if you want your child to have some of that sugar hype before Sunday school, bring them in here first before they go to the library. Um, and then please uh, make sure they use the restroom before they go to Sunday school so the teacher doesn't have to worry about taking them, teaching the class and having kids use the bathroom. Um, So I think that's it. Um, So can I have all the Sunday school teachers come on up here so that everybody can see your bright shining faces? and we thank you very much for volunteering your time to teach our youth and little ones. All right, so for preschool, yep, we have Sandra and Rita Graves. (laughs) So if you want, if your child's in kindergarten, you will follow them out. Oh, sorry, preschool, sorry. I'm used to, I'm actual school. Um, if your child's in preschool, you can take, you can follow them out. They're going to be going out that way. Kindergarten. <laughs> oh. for period, if you can come pick your child up after oh, Sunday school, yes. that would be great. Yeah, so if your child, preschool through first grade for sure, and maybe second grade, you, you come to your child's classroom to pick your child up. The older ones, they'll just release and find their parents. But the younger ones, if we, we ask parents to come pick them up at the classroom. Um, for kindergarten, oh, yeah. Preschool, if you are in preschool, you're going to follow your teachers out that way. <laughs> All right, and for kindergarten, we have Sandra Rodendaro. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and Darlene. Her, no. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had an extra add-in. <laughs> um, and what? Mundrick. We're teaching kindergarten this year. Thank you very much. So if your child is in kindergarten, they're gonna be going out that door also. Kindergarten. And for first grade, we have Tammy Hahn and Katie Kinneman who are teaching first grade. They are also going to be going out that door. So if you are in first grade, you can follow your teacher. (laughs) Looks like there's one right there. Um, Second grade definitely wants you to come, parents come pick your child up from the room. It is downstairs. So for second grade, we have Stephanie Hall and Darlene Hernandez teaching second grade this year. So they're going to be going out that door. So any second grade students? Um, for third and fourth grade, we have Steve and Kelly Volkman. Um, both third and, third and fourth grade classroom is downstairs. So there, you're going to go that way? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You don't have to pick those guys up. So <laughs> if you're in third or fourth grade, you're going to be going heading towards that way.
2: And high school. Oh,
1: wait. Okay. <laughs> um, for fifth and sixth grade, Monty Weimer is teaching that he's not here today. So fifth and sixth grade, hang tight because you're gonna go with Pastor Grady when we at the end. Um, for seventh grade, we have Pauline and Bud Kurtz and Shirley Gasper, who are teaching seventh grade and their classroom is up here. Um, And we're gonna, Well, do you want announcement now or later? Okay, fifth through eighth grade, this is an announcement.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so thank you. So on behalf of the Board of Elders, as it was mentioned earlier, we are going to sort of pull the curtain back and demystify all the fun of what it means to be an acolyte and a crucifer (laughs) here at Advent. Uh, especially for the first timers, this can be a somewhat of a daunting and perhaps embarrassing thing. I don't know what to do, where am I supposed to stand, is everybody really going to be watching me up there in that front pew, the entire service? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, after the, the kiddos have had a chance to get to know their Sunday school teachers, uh, the Board of Elders will be coming through grades five through eight, and we're doing a combined training. So this is hopefully going to be fun for these kids because now, and as parents, here's my ask of you. Um, We have and we'll be sending back with them, and you are more than welcome to go as well if you would like to learn and listen, but each one of them is going to have an instruction sheet. What the the gentlemen and the elders are gonna do this morning is actually kinda let them get their hands on those things which they are going to be doing, such as lighting the acolyte torch And is that crucifer cross really as heavy as what I think it is? And the answer is yes, it is. Um, And the pastors will also, or at least Pastor Jim in this case, is going to also help us walk through what their roles are. Uh, To that point, the final comment that I will make is this. Whereas today is gonna be sort of more rudimentary and hands-on, it is an extremely important service that our children play in our congregation. And we as elders are extremely grateful for a, uh, the service that they provide in volunteering to do this. Uh, they do robe up. They wear the white alb just as our pastors do. So they become a reverent part of our service. And it's a wonderful thing that our youth do for this congregation. So thank you in advance for allowing your children to come in service in this way. And hopefully today, uh, the message I would like you to leave with them is this. It is okay on their first time, second time, or third time to not have any clue of what I'm supposed to do. Here's the fun part. There's an elder that is on duty every single Sunday, okay? Find them, okay? The gentlemen have been trained. They are there to help. Hopefully our elders will come and find your child regardless to make sure that they understand. And Pastor Grady and Pastor McKay also, right before the service, do a little huddle and a prayer to make sure that uh, everyone knows what their role is, so. On behalf of the Board of Elders, thank you for allowing your children to serve us in this way.
0: Steve, there's probably one other important thing since we're demystifying this whole thing is that as an acolyte or crucifer, you get to sit up front and you get to see the pastors up close. And, and you notice that only one pastor preaches a Sunday. When you see the other pastor sitting in his chair during the sermon, if his eyes are closed, he's not sleeping, he's praying the Psalms. <laughs> so there you go.
2: Also, um, high school we need you in the sanctuary
0: at the same time as the fifth through eighth grade because this is an act you're doing together with the high school, the crucifers or the high school students and the acolytes follow behind. So there is a order that needs to be. So we want the high school students in there too.
1: Okay. One more teacher, (laughs) eighth grade. Jim Cranich is teaching our eighth grade this year. So thank you very much. We hope to have a blessed year and uh, fifth through high school are going to be going that way. Follow this guy.
0: <laughs> okay, while well, you're kind of getting settled here and ready for a little study, uh, thanks to uh, all that came uh, for our first uh, uh, Wednesday we're not really calling it anything. I mean, I guess it's it's kind of a family night, but it's kind of probably more catechism night. Um, we had a. I, I was pleasantly surprised uh, how many of you came for uh, the pray the catechism, right? So that that's really what it is. It's it's kind of a service, but it's kind of not. I mean, we're gathering in the sanctuary, and Luther's Small Catechism was designed actually to be prayed and meditated upon. Obviously, learn by memory, which is how most of us did that. Um, And so one of the things we wanted to make sure that we did with our uh, 7th and 8th graders was that once a week, we went through the catechism kind of in its entirety. Um, And so we did that. I think it took, uh, we had a little introduction at the beginning, but I think it'll take about 27 minutes roughly, including a homily and hymn of the day. So we got it done in a half an hour this last week. Um, And then we had a great turnout. Don't forget, parents, if you have high school youth, Please talk with them and encourage them. Uh, We are starting a high school youth group. Um, We haven't really had that before. Um, And so we've got some parents now that are getting that organized. And so every Wednesday from 7.30 to 8.30, uh, the high school youth will meet. Uh, One of us pastors will teach uh, a short uh, Bible study. Uh, And then there'll be some sort of activity, planning, snack, that sort of thing. We also had a great turnout for the Wednesday Bible class. So if you are looking for an additional Bible class uh, to attend during the week, if you're not able to come Wednesday morning um, or the book club that meets as well, or Sunday morning, for those of you listening online, Wednesday night, 7.30 to 8.30, we'll have an adult Bible study uh, class. This last week, we had uh, Mr. Monty Weimer uh, taught that class. Uh, based kind of on uh, uses of the law, which we're going to get into a little bit more with uh, Marquardt and our study. Uh, this coming Wednesday, we've got Pastor Ullman will be uh, teaching uh, that session. And then starting next Wednesday, our own Mr. Chuck Long will be uh, doing a uh, study, a CPH study on world religions. Um, so I had a good turn probably close to 20 people. And you guys will be meeting here in the fellowship hall, so you won't be crammed into one of the small rooms over there. Okay? Um, So that's all that's going on on Wednesdays. Any questions or anything else you want to throw at me before we start? Yes, ma'am. There's a council meeting on Monday. Monday. That's tomorrow. Where'd she go? She left. Okay. All right. Thank you. I thought there was something, but I couldn't remember what it was. So, okay. Uh, All right. Any other announcements or anything in general? Yes, sir. Yes, Wednesday morning group is still going, yep, we are finishing up uh, Isaiah, that's been a good study, so uh, come rejoin us, uh, or if you're looking for another opportunity, come and do that, and um, there is a a secret, uh, there is a certain way to entice you to come to Wednesdays and stay on Wednesdays, and it has to do with the Kasmerzak kitchen, and I'll just kind of leave it at that, you have to come find out what that means, Okay. (laughs) I see I'm not the only husband that gets his self in trouble (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I'm not gonna step in the middle of that one all right anything else let's get started shall we the Lord be with you almighty and merciful God by your gift alone your faithful people render true and laudable service Help us steadfastly to live in this life according to your promises and finally attain your heavenly glory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, we are on The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People uh, by Reverend Professor Kurt E. Marquardt. And we are on page... Mark, Mark, lots of Marks. Lots of marks. Seventy-four. Three uses or functions of the law. Correct. Okay. Um, before we get into this, just real quick, right? So, so let's just let's just review from Catechism class the three uses of the law. Probably as most of you here were taught them: curb, mirror, and guide. Right. Uh, so the so the law functions as a curb. Think a curb on the street. Uh, keeps cars where they're going if you bump into it. Um, or every morning when I back my truck up, I always hit, do you know what I hit? No, I do not hit a car. <laughs> no. <laughs> I hit a, a, a curb. What's it called? The block things. Back, you know, it keeps me from going in the grass and messing up the grass because I don't want Pastor Grady to yell at me, right? So what, are they, what do you call those things? Wheel stopper, bumper. Yeah. So that keeps me from driving where I'm not supposed to drive, right? So I back up, and, and you go there. So the curb defines the area, right? This is where you can park. This is where you can't. This is the street. This is the sidewalk, right? Second use, of course, is the mirror. That's probably the easiest one to understand. You know, when you look in the mirror, do you like what you see? If you really like what you see, come talk to me, okay? <laughs> if you don't like what you see, still come talk to me, right? So the, the mirror reveals... All those things that, you know, it shows your aging, it shows, I don't need to go on, do I? Yeah, I don't want to depress you. But the mirror is a reflection of your true self, that you are a sinner, okay? And then the third use of the law is guide, okay? You might think of it as a, a how-to manual, um, you know, and in, instructions uh, for, for that. That one has had a lot of debate, okay? We as Lutherans do believe in the third use of the law. We are not antinomians. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we should be encouraged and admonished to do good works. Um, you're, you need that. And we'll talk about how and why that is. Okay? Because there, there are some Christians, even Lutherans today, that would deny the third use, uh, that that's not good and efficacious. Um, but it requires a proper understanding. Okay? All right, you ready? Let's see what uh, Marquardt has to say. Although the customary word is uses, It may be better to speak of functions of the law. The term uses may be mistaken to mean that we manipulate or control the law to bring about the sort of responses which we think fitting. In truth, however, it is God himself who uses his law to achieve his own purposes, right? So you can kind of write off to the side uh, passive, if you will, in the sense that, that the law comes to us Extra nose, right? It comes to us from outside of ourselves. It's God's word that is now molding and shaping, right? Um, he is the potter, I am the clay. Okay, so you've kind of heard that before. So it's God who uses law to achieve his own purposes. According to God's revealed will, his law is meant to function in several distinct ways. At times, Luther distinguished two fundamentally different functions of the law the civil and the theological. Okay, and if you got Luther's works, you can see the citation here on the bottom. Um, I've got that on my shelf if you wanna borrow it if you're into kind of chasing some of these rabbit holes. But further refinement also identified a third function. So in its first function, and we called that the curb, okay, the law serves as an incentive and a deterrent to promote, safeguard, and enforce the public attitudes and behavior on which the existence and well-being of human society depend. The, this is the law originally written into human nature at creation, the natural law, and still discernible in its broad features even after the fall through conscience, reason, and philosophy. And let's look at Romans 2:14 to 15 real quick and read that together. Oh, I see Jesus returning. Let's move on. (laughs) You got it? (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Let's read it together. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Okay, let's stop there. Now, through this civil use or function of the law, God preserves his created order despite and against the corrosive and destructive powers of evil, right? So here God rules not with his grace, but with his power. And his instrument is not the church, but the civil order, which includes elements and just just kind of wrap your head or let your mind go just a little bit here and we talk about where our current culture is at and that scripture reveals that there is law written where? On our hearts. Everyone has law written on their hearts according to God, okay? And, and what that means for those who say there is no law or I can do what I want um, and how the church now you know, responds and deals with society. One, we must recognize that there is always law there, there is conscience there, okay? Um, and so what people learn to do is to ignore that voice or that word, okay? And in so doing, it's almost like Pharaoh, right? I remember that was a very hard story for me when I was younger to understand, right? God wants all people to be saved, he comes to Pharaoh, and, and how many times does Pharaoh have the opportunity to repent or to believe? To do both? Ten times, right? Okay. Um, or you might say maybe 11 because the first time he came, right? But uh, what happened when Pharaoh rejected? What does Scripture say? His heart was hardened, right? And so when it goes back and forth between Pharaoh hardening his own heart to the point where God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, okay? Um, And so, you know, at some point, you get to, whatever you want to call it, bottom. (laughs) Um, Now, there's always, you know, while you live, the opportunity for repentance, but to be firm in your rejection and faith does not lead you anywhere, you know, good. So when you're dealing with a culture that, you know, says this is not sin, or this is okay, what you're really dealing with is a hardness of heart and a rejection of God's Word, okay? Now, the problem with with some Christians and denominations, and I would say we even battle this occasionally in the Missouri Synod, um, is we want to appeal to society, right? We want to be a friendly church. You know, we want to create conversations and opportunities, and, and, and what you have to be careful of is you're going to end up compromising the truth. You see that? And, and you can end up further, you know, aiding the hardening of hearts, which you don't want to do either, okay? All right, any, any comments before I move on there? I don't think I went too far astray. So, uh, his instrument is not the church, but the civil order, which includes elements like the marriage bond, parental authority, and let your mind kind of go to, you know, parental authority and what that means. Um, how our government was originally established, and uh, and I don't I don't want to get into current politics, but I think that's a fair question to ask. You know, do what authority do I still have as parents? Where does that extend to? Uh, what are what are the limits for that? Uh, at least in the civil side, uh, various social and economic forces. Teachers, okay. If you're a teacher and you serve, uh, especially in um, you know a public setting, uh, raise your hand. How many of you are in you know, and, and you're, you're perhaps required to follow certain rules. Is that fair? And some of them good, and other ones maybe that you might have a little bit of an issue with. Is that, is that fair? I don't want to speak out of turn, but okay. Um, so policemen, judges, statesmen, armed forces, uh, and even executioners as a last resort. Let's go to Romans 13, 1 to 6 and read that one. It hurts my neck. I'm going to stand. down. Okay. Here we go. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. You can read through the rest of it, but I think you know where it's going to go from there. Um, And so, yeah, I get that you're not always going to agree with certain leaders and those that are in authority. But what does Scripture say that you... Oh, from what we just read, what does God say you owe to those in authority over you? Obedience. Obedience, Obedience. okay? Um, And we would even look at the rest of Scripture and talk about respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, right? Now, is it okay to have disagreements? Yes. And if you have authorities that are contrary to God's word, then of course the job is to, to speak up right? So we've been doing this uh, as a church uh, regarding um, abortion, okay? Since 1974, we would maintain that what the government has declared is legal is contrary to what? God's word. We as a church have also said the same thing on marriage. Marriage is between who? A man and a woman, right? Um, so that's, that's marriage, you know, defined, Okay. Um, and so, we, you know, we would stand in disagreement. Uh, but does that mean that we should no longer respect or honor, you know, the government or those in authority? That's kind of the question, right? So how do you still respect and obey, you know, while maintaining positions on certain things? That, that's the challenge. That's the fine line, okay? Um, any comments on that? So the... Yeah, what about governments that persecute? Okay, so one, you're talking about the government of which you are a citizen? Um, well, no, I was thinking like China. Okay. So then you would you would certainly speak and work against the government to deal with what? The sin that is there. So does, does God allow... Um, I mean, His Word is the pinnacle of it, right? So the same thing you would have... So let's, let's, let's review... There are three fathers, or three offices, okay, uh, or three realms of authority. What are they? According to Scripture, Luther talks a lot about this. Civil, okay, which would be the left-hand kingdom. So that would be whatever government or nation you're in, okay? What are the other two? In the home, so you've got the, the, the father is the, the head of the house, Okay. Um, and the wife, the mother, does assist with that. So let, let's not ignore where Scripture is at with that. But there is, there is authority in the home. Um, and the husband, the father, is to exercise that, uh, given by God. Um, okay, so that's, that's two types of authority. And then what's the third one? Church. So that would be the spiritual authority. Okay, so that would be authority. Uh, just go through the catechism. This would be uh, power of the keys if you will, right? The authority that Christ give to the church on earth to bind sins and forgive sins, okay? And how that's practiced, right? Through the pastors, right? So it's not that the pastors are vested with the authority in and of themselves. The church is vested with the authority and the pastors exercise that by nature of their ordination and call, got it? And you would have others that would assist in that within the church, just like you would in the home. Whether it's a mother, uh, if you've got, uh, you know, a lot of kids, I've got some friends that, they've they've got a gaggle of kids at home, and the older kids tend to do a lot of parenting, okay? They're not the parents, but if you've got, you know, a 12, 13, 15, 16-year-old in the home, are they gonna help out with the younger kids? Okay, my older sister and brother, uh, 10 and eight years older than me, respectively, um, and they babysat us when I was little. They did a lot when mom and dad weren't around. Um, they weren't my parents but they certainly assisted with that. So then you have all those other you know, types of that. So, so you've got th- three realms of authority. So then the question is, um, where is the error that is taking place in one of those realms? So let's say it's in China. So and the Chinese government is saying, you can only have one kid, right? I don't know if they've lifted the uh, conception thing, have they? Is it two? Okay, so you can have, which is, they don't need to replenish just yet, right? But that's, that's still below uh, the, uh, in what's 2.6 is what it takes to re- replace your, uh, your population, I think? 2. 1. Two, it is 2.1. Children per woman. Per woman, okay. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, how do you do that? That's the question, right? How do you, you you know, speak against, you know, the government? Uh, uh, Any any help on that? What do you think? Well, what do we do here in the United States with abortion and and marriage? Of course, we have freedom of speech, correct? Or we're supposed to. (laughs) But we do, we do. That's guaranteed by the Constitution, right? So, I mean, we, we do have freedom of speech. So, I mean, you've heard us preach about that as pastors we're obviously teaching about it in bible class um, and some churches have been called on the carpet and said that's hate speech and, and we would say no that's 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 our our right to to believe and, and to teach that things could be changing down the road in that regards we'll see what becomes of that um so you speak the truth i think is probably the first thing is the first thing um and how do you obey obey the government still in other ways You know, would that mean, for example, let's just, let's chase this rabbit hole a little further. So, um, okay. So all of us here would would agree with what Scripture says regarding human life and regarding marriage. Does that, therefore, give us the right to stop paying taxes? You see where we're going with this? So then you end up, you know, one, either rejecting authority completely. And so even if... um, uh, oh, somebody invited me to go on a motorcycle ride and out in, is there, there's a bunch of Amish country is it here in Indiana, is that correct? And we didn't get a chance to do it. I was busy. I couldn't get away or something. And, uh, and, I, and I've been around Amish before. They still have to obey certain laws, but they also kind of separate themselves as well from society, right? So uh, that becomes the challenge of a Christian is, you know, how, how much authority do we recognize and how do we do that? I don't know if I have the answer to that. I think that that God certainly says where there is error, the most important thing is to speak the truth and speak against it, okay? Uh, And so to still be a Christian um, and maintain, you know, living under God's law even with those other things, okay? Anybody else want to dig me out of the hole I put myself in? Yes? Okay. Okay. Don't take your pregnant wife in. Right, right. Okay. Um, so, would we say maybe like conscientious objector? Would that fall under that as well? If somebody is concerned with a, you know, a, a, a conflict, a theater, a war, that sort of thing. I mean, some of you lived through more of that time. We haven't had as much of that, obviously. My generation, we've we've studied it, and you know, so okay. So Would it be to directly oppose the government if they keep you from exercising your faith? Repeat that question again. yes because then you know um we must obey god rather than men right um so but for the things that aren't contrary to god's word that the government does you're still supposed to what right so i mean jesus talks about this and paul goes into it further on romans you know uh give to caesar what is caesar's okay pay taxes to whom you know taxes are owed um so it, it, it's not a complete rejection of it. I, I once listened to a very interesting lecture, and I really haven't had time to chase it further, but it, it, was, it was talking about the Revolutionary War. And it made me kind of think, just in a different way that I hadn't thought of before, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not positing anything before you, but there certainly begs the question of you know, authority, uh, freedom um, and whether all or part of the Revolutionary War was correct according to Scripture—I'd never thought about that before. I mean, it was—it re- it really kind of rocked my world, you know. I mean, I was—I was raised red, white, and blue, and the bad British, and da 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 da. And it just—it just—it made me think a little bit, and 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 I think I think these are all good questions to kind of wrestle with and to think about moving forward, at what point does a government become where you reject everything about the government? I don't know if I know the answer to that one. And there might be a point. You know, you, you look at uh, Bonhoeffer and there were other, um, you know, Lutheran pastor in Germany and others who uh, did, sought to do what? Assassinate Hitler, right? Um, so, yeah. It's true right thank you for that that was good oh a really good book if you're looking for a good book to read I know it's past summer but 1776 um, I, I've read it several times I think we've even got it on CD or tape I haven't read it in a while but it's a, it's a really good uh, history same author that uh, wrote a uh, biography on Lincoln I think and also did one on Augustine He's a, he's a well-known uh, historian and writer. I think it's the same guy. Anyway, all right, let's move on. Now I've gone too far. All right, any other comments? Yes, ma'am. I just have one. Um, if, if you live in a country that opposes your religion, like we're saying, like right. China,
1: Even driving to church, uh, they would have to take different routes, different weeks, just so that they would not be persecuted. So I know when we're Lutheran, we stand up and say through our confirmation verses that we would die rather than forsake. But here, you also want to
2: persevere so that you can continue to be a witness. Right.
1: Away from a government that would annihilate
0: them so that God's word could continue to be spread. So we are called to be in the world but not of the world, right? So so when you see society or the government doing these things, you know, you don't you don't stop being a public school teacher. You don't just automatically, you know, pull your kids out of out of everything and, and be like the Amish and Mennonites. You might have some things that you try and shelter, you certainly teach right, on your own and, and address those things. You still support, um, you know, the government as much as you can, but you speak against it and you practice your faith. So the early Christians, obviously, the, the church, that's how it started, right? I mean, in persecution. I mean, you know, meeting privately in, uh, you know, uh, homes and wherever they could um, and storefronts. And uh, obviously, you know, a lot of that freedom didn't come later. That's why we don't have a lot of, you know, old church buildings that really were around from that time, because they didn't exist. Those came later, after Constantine and others, so, okay. All right, any other comments on that? Okay, next paragraph. So, because of its deterrent force, this first function of the law is often called a curb. And you might also think of it as a leash or a restraint, it is aimed not at God's own dear children, but against those who without such constraints would turn society into a rabble of living by the law of the jungle. Let me repeat that sentence. It is aimed, the first function of the law, not at God's own dear children, but against those who without such constraints would turn society into a rabble of living by the law of the jungle. So when we talk about saint and sinner, the simil, Right? Which one is he saying the curb or the first function is for? It's for the sinner. Hang on to that thought, because as we unpack these three, that becomes a very important distinction. The law is made, let's read that together, 1 Timothy 1, nine. The law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, right? So if you took issue with what he said or what I rephrased, There's your scripture verse for that. On the other hand, it must not be forgotten that also Christians still have their old evil nature with them, which they must struggle daily, right? And we learn about that from Romans 7. This old nature, and I like how he says this, is a donkey which has no sense for the gospel, but responds only to the stick and the carrot of the law. Honor, health, and wealth impress this mulish nature more than heaven, God or his love. And hell makes rather less of an impression than prison, cancer, or AIDS. The law in its first function, therefore, is a valuable ally, which Christians also need to keep their own sinful natures in check. And let's go to 1 Corinthians 9.27. Ooh, ooh. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, here we go. There we together. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Right. So, so we have a sinful nature that is always within us that needs to be kept in check. Okay. Um, and so, you know, the, I don't remember where this phrase originated, but it's it's common through a number of books and uh, and other uh, media arts. You know, which wolf are you feeding, right? Are you feeding the good wolf or are you feeding the evil wolf, right? So, so that's a good question to always ask yourself with the choices and decisions you make. Next paragraph. The first function of the law concerns the church only indirectly, insofar as Christians are also citizens. It is very different with the second or spiritual function of the law, which is in fact the law's real aim and purpose, Here the law functions as a mirror, faithfully reflecting to the sinner his own inner bankruptcy. Uh, Let's read Romans 3.20 together. By the law is the knowledge of sin. He further explains from Romans 7. Let's read it. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet, right? So we have law that is, is is written on our hearts. There's there's natural knowledge there, but that's not everything, is it? Which is why you know, we need God's revealed knowledge, which is in Scripture. So I mean, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said, oh, I didn't know that was sinful. <laughs> and then my first kind of question, if we're able to engage uh, in, 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 in a nice conversation, is... You know, when you were doing that or decided to do that, was there any part of you that felt a little uncomfortable, right? Uh, was there any, any part of you, you know, and I try and avoid the use of the word conscience, but just the question, was there anything about that that made you uncomfortable in some way, shape, or form, okay? Um, if you ever spent time, um, how many of you have gone to jails or prisons and worked with inmates? Any of you here? A couple of you? Okay. So I, I, I've done a little bit of that uh, over my time, a uh, fair amount on vicar. When I was the vicar, uh, I was the one that got sent, uh, and, and it was probably good. It really, I learned a lot of things right off the bat. And then we were down in Arkansas, um, actually had a, had a pastor that wanted me to serve on a regular basis at, at a local kind of prison ministry, and I went a few times and did chapel services and uh, he and I weren't on the page, same page on some things. Uh, he was very much a Southern Baptist on certain things. But I was doing a great work, I mean, you know, meeting with people and dealing with them. Um, and so, you know, what you arrive at is one, we always have an understanding that there is a conscience, there is law that is written on the heart. Secondly, that that revealed knowledge needs to be taught, needs to be read, needs to be preached. Okay, that's God's intent for Scripture. Okay, so for a church to just have God's word and keep it to themselves is not God's intent either. So that informs mission. All right. That informs evangelism. Right. Which is why if you study the book of Concord, you'll learn that the term gospel does not just mean in and of itself just what Jesus did on the cross, but includes both law and gospel. Paul talks more about this in terms of the whole counsel of God, okay? Uh, So the the sinner in us needs both of those, okay? All right, any comments there? Okay, Uh, let's see. So it is a great delusion, this is the uh, second full paragraph from the top, to think that the law can give salvation to sinners. On the contrary, the law makes matters still worse. And there's a whole bunch of passages, we don't have time to go through all those, but you can look them up, Romans 4, 5, 7, uh, 2 Corinthians 3. Far from being a help or remedy, the law is in fact the power of sin, as the funeral service solemnly reminds us. The Savior himself warns, let's read it together, your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set, right? So so thus the phrase, and this is confusing for some people, lex semper accusat, which means the law always accuses, okay? So we need to understand, keep in mind, uh, you know, uh, what we've talked about in terms of the law being used for the saint or the sinner in this case. The sinner, right? And for all sinners. Okay. So this negative accusatory force of the law strips from us all self-reliance and false hopes. When even, right, that's that's the navel gazing that we've talked about before. Right, looking to yourself, you know, figuring yourself out first, uh, trying to find the strength within, and all that other Oprah nonsense. Okay, um, you need something from outside yourself because you are, by nature, spiritually, you know, dead. Right, um, you can't. You're deaf and dumb and blind. Early service people, right? Light service people, you'll you'll get there. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> so when even our prized moral and religious achievements are seen to be rubbish and we are destitute, then the law has done its proper work. Okay, more it cannot do. It must lead us to Christ, yet not directly, for it knows him only as judge and example, but indirectly by impressing on us our urgent need or rescue. Okay, to quote St. Paul once more, and let's read it together. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life... Then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So God's alien work, uh, and uh, uh, let's see, Law and Gospel Distinguished. What's he? We're on page 76. Okay, God's alien work in the law may be compared to a physician's diagnosis. No doctor simply pops medicines into a patient's mouth without first determining the nature of the complaint, nor is anyone ever cured by the diagnosis itself. Much less does a doctor gleefully torment a patient with a gloomy diagnosis just for the sake of torture. The goal of a doctor is what? Healing, Healing. okay? Yet a, and, and you might have no longer have a doctor. If you felt that they didn't really care about you, what did you do? you found another doctor right if they were just kind of going through the motions you know Um, we still by the way haven't found a a pediatrician not that we've looked real hard so talk to me or my wife afterwards if you've got a good recommendation for a local pediatrician okay Um, yet a physician may need to speak very pointedly to a patient who disregards his condition and becomes frivolous about taking his medication. By analogy, even Christians need the faithful service of the law's spiritual diagnostic function, lest they give themselves to rosy illusions and neglect the means of salvation. If people are bored with the gospel and want to turn church services into entertaining circuses, they have forgotten the deadly malady of their sin. Now stop and think about that for a second, okay? Okay. If people are bored with the gospel and want to turn church services into entertaining circuses, they've forgotten the deadly malady of their sin. The remedy, then, is not to whimper softly about love, but to wield the law very pointedly like a dentist's drill until it strikes the nerve that is festering beneath the decay. To spare the patient is to be cruelly kind. We're going to stop there. That's a good one, isn't it? That's a good one. All right, any comments? Any questions for Marquardt? He's not here, but I'll do my best to answer for him. Okay. All right. Uh, back next week, let's uh, stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Don't forget uh, church picnic later today. Uh, so if you're, uh, we're here for early service, go home, get changed, bring some food back, and we'll have a good time. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven,